0: The Bible contains great financial advice, and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning, welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're back today and we're going to try to answer as many of your questions as we can today. And if you've called one in recently, hope you stay tuned and see if we get to it. Uh, That's the way we operate is we take viewers' questions either on the phone or on a website. You can see both of them on the screen there, and you can use either one of those anytime to let us know what you'd like us to try to find an answer to for you. Uh, of course, if you give us your name and address, we'll get you an answer in the mail pretty quickly so you don't have to wait a few weeks to see it on the air. But uh, that's what we do. We're in, we are uh, we advocate Bible study. We want folks to know their Bible and one of the best ways we've found to do that is just to let you tell us what you'd like to know. Uh, most religious TV shows, I think, tell you what they think you need to know. Uh, but we ask what you want to know, and we'll try to answer those questions for you. So that's the way this program operates. Uh, Get in touch with us and let us know you direct the program. Let me introduce my partner here, Toby Levering is back. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're here and all ready to go studied up. Uh, We always start with a question for our viewers, so let's give them that one. Uh, What was David's job when he was anointed king? Prophet Samuel came looking for him. Uh, What job was David doing when Samuel anointed him as the next king of Israel? So, that's your question. We'll give you an answer at the end of the program. Uh, Let's see, I drew the first one today, and the viewer's got a kind of (coughs) uh, celestial question here. If life was found on another planet, uh, how would this fit with the Bible? Well, an interesting thing to kind of imagine about for a little while, but of course there's Nothing in the Bible about life anywhere else. It just talks about Earth. Uh, it talks about God creating all of creation, and then it focuses on His uh, creation of uh, the atmosphere and the animals and the fish and everything on this Earth. And His uh, crowning creation was that of mankind. Uh, so that's what the Bible addresses. It doesn't say anything about life anywhere else except in heaven and the. The third heaven that we talked about last week, but uh, no other life in the second heaven that we we know of uh but the viewer says, Well, what if we did find life? What if e t showed up uh, how would that fit with the Bible? I don't think it would bother the Bible particularly. The Bible just doesn't talk about it, it doesn't say there aren't uh, any other places with life on it. It implies that because it says that the whole creation groans. Because of Adam and Eve's sin. Uh, it implies that we are the only uh, spot of life, and I think that we are. Uh, but I think we're dealing in the hypothetics here. I don't think uh, uh, we could talk all day and not come to a conclusion. Probably I don't think it would bother the Bible at all. Uh, but until E.T. shows up and <laughs> wants to phone home, uh, we'll just put this one on the back burner and not worry about it too much because uh, don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> All right, what do you got, Toby? Yeah, you. if
1: you were asked a t- tough question, they say, where in the Bible does it tell how to deal with addictions? <clears throat> well, I'm going to give you some, several scriptural principles here on the general subject of addiction. Of course, this could be referring to alcohol and drugs, it could be pornography, it could be sexual addiction, lots of different addictions. Uh, and, but I think these six in general uh, will address the problem. Number one, and we're not gonna read, you know, each of these verses won't be on the screen, but you can write them down and uh, <clears throat> look them up uh, for your study. Uh, pray for help. I think this is the first place we gotta go. Uh, Seek God's help. Uh, He provides power that is beyond our own. Uh, Number two, pay attention. Uh, 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. If you know you struggle with a certain sin, uh, you need to pay attention in areas of your life where you come into contact with those sins or where you are tempted strongly. Uh, if you're tempted by alcoholic drink, if you have uh, alcohol addiction, uh, you shouldn't be near any bars or places that serve alcohol. Uh, that's because you need to pay attention. Uh, your enemy is always looking for an opportunity. Number three, Titus 2.12 uh, just simply tells us to say no. And I know that seems like an antiquated idea, but you know, no is a powerful world. And when you're presented with temptation, uh, you can use that word and it, it'll help you out. The grace of God <coughs> teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions. And number four, flee temptation. You know, when you come into an area, maybe you're, uh, I don't know, if it's at work or if it's uh, just somewhere where you are and all of a sudden you are face to face with your with something that tempts you or that you have come into contact with, uh, the, the biblical advice is simply to flee <coughs> says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will provide a way out, and that's 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and 14. Number five, avoid bad company. Uh, this can <clears throat> probably be one of the biggest helps. You probably have people who uh, don't help you in your weaknesses, and uh, maybe people who even struggle with the same addictions. Uh, You will be much better if you avoid those type of people. They're not going to help you if they're struggling with the same thing. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15.33 says simply, bad company corrupts good character. And number six, uh, get help. And that means you need to find some uh, good Bible-believing church, some serious Christian counseling, uh, people who are really going to help you. Uh, Galatians chapter 6 says, uh, If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. So those are my six general verses I think you can look up. And, uh, of course, uh, I would always recommend that you find a a church, we kind of mentioned this, where you can get into a a good program like Celebrate Recovery. Uh, They would deal with addictions of all types. Uh, And uh, if they have a Christian counselor that's going to give you Bible-based wisdom and counsel and instruction, that will be a benefit to you as well. So (coughs) those are my six principles and one extra step to help you along.
0: All right. Thank you, Toby. Uh, Good summary there (coughs) on a difficult topic. Yeah. Obviously we can't handle that in two yep, minutes, but right. uh, you gave some good <laughs> good advice there. <clears throat> All right, let me talk just a little bit about baptism. We get lots of questions about baptism. We'll come to this specific question in just a moment. Uh, but we get lots of questions about it uh, because, and some people in fact have asked, why do you talk so much about baptism? Uh, well, we talk about it because it's, we talk about what we get questions sure. about. Uh <laughs> And we say on this program that baptism is a part of salvation, it's when salvation happens, it's the time of salvation, it's part of the plan of salvation, Jesus said we're supposed to do it. Uh, So that seems pretty clear to us. But uh, so many people have been taught that baptism is not essential, that it's not a part of salvation, that they look for all kinds of ways to avoid it I guess is a good word. (coughs) Excuse me. So, here's one today that we got It's kind of a unique one. Uh, this viewer says, Paul said he was not called to baptize. So, baptism is not a means of salvation. Okay, let's make sure that Paul did say that. Uh, let's look at 1 Corinthians 17 together. And Paul did say, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but <coughs> to preach the gospel. All right, now if you read the context there, what was happening in Corinth was people were having favorites. Uh, They had a favorite preacher or a favorite person in the church. (coughs) They were dividing over those uh, choices, and ones uh, that, like Paul most, uh, probably wished he would have baptized them, or maybe they were baptized by him. He baptized a few people. And in Paul's argument that we shouldn't divide the body of Christ over personalities, he says, I'm thankful I didn't baptize many people uh, because it would have just made it worse if you were one of my fans or one of my groupies. Uh, I'm glad I didn't baptize very many people. Now, he said that, but in the context it just means what he said. He didn't say anything about baptism being essential or non-essential. Somebody baptized all of them. Now, what this person has done by saying Paul wasn't called to baptize, so baptism's not a mean of salvation. That's a logical fallacy. That's bad logic. That's bad reasoning. That's not thinking. Okay, uh, let me make a comparison, and I hope it'll help you see it. Uh, today, we've got a script here with a bunch of questions on it, and I drew the first one, so I answer questions one, three, five, seven, and Toby answers questions two, four, six, and eight. So somebody could say, uh, Steve was not called to answer question two, so question two should never be answered. Question two is not a valid question. Uh, Question two shouldn't be on the program. Uh, That's a logical fallacy. I just wasn't assigned to do that today. Toby was assigned to answer number two. So what Paul is saying is, I'm glad I didn't baptize many of you, but my partner Barnabas, or this guy or this other guy or somebody else did baptize you. It was his task to do that. Okay, So it's just a logical fallacy. It doesn't make sense. Uh, and that's a sign that it's a pretty weak argument when you have to go to fallacies like that. Uh, when something is so, so clear like Mark 16:16, 16, 16, Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved to get around that you've got to come up with some bad arguments because there's no good arguments. So uh, and I'm not trying to be rude I'm just saying uh, that's the way arguments go against the necessity of salvation uh, because it's so clearly stated that Jesus expected us to be baptized. Uh, Paul himself who we're talking about here uh, you read the first few verses of Romans 6 he said that's how you get in Christ. that's how it works. And, and all of us have been baptized into Christ. So, certainly necessary, certainly a part of salvation, certainly when salvation happens. So, I uh, hope that helps a person understand. Paul didn't do much baptizing. He was busy preaching the gospel and he let other people handle the baptisms. And I'm sure he had plenty of them wherever he went. So, uh, that's the way he did it. All right. let's see. I've got to talk about a good way to study the Bible here. We enjoy answering some of your questions every week, but there's so much more in the Bible that we'll never get to if we stay on for a 100 years. Uh, So we advocate home Bible study. Uh, We think you've got uh, some time on your hands perhaps where you could sit down with the Bible a little bit each week, and we'll provide you some study materials to help you do that. We know a lot of people want to study the Bible, and Uh, Maybe start reading in Genesis 1 and pretty soon they're tangled up and confused and and give up. Well, uh, we've got a different way to come at it. Uh, This first Bible series here that you see, we've got eight lessons in it, uh, starts real basic. Uh, The first two lessons are right there, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And that's where you start first you learn about the old testament and what's in it secondly you learn about the new testament and what's in it once you've got that foundation you're ready to learn about some of the rest of the topics in the bible so good basic christian course uh, helps you learn about the bible once you get through with this uh, we've got a handsome certificate for you and then we've got some more advanced courses that you can keep studying the bible for a long time with uh, know your bible study tools so phone number website are on the screen uh, give us a call. We'll log on so you'd like that free course. And it is absolutely free. We even pay the postage for you. So uh, let us know you want it. We'll get it started for you. That All was right.
1: A great answer to your previous question. I was going to add to that. You know, we always talk about context in the program. And of course, the verses previously, Paul said he did baptize people. And his point was that you weren't baptized into the name of Paul. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't. You know, they were focused on, you know, who baptized you, and that they thought the importance came from who did the baptizing. You know, they weren't questioning the validity of baptism, they just were at the wrong uh, yeah. motivation. So, context is really important. <laughs> I mean, we say that a lot on this program, but if you're looking at a verse and you're just picking it apart uh, to, to support an idea or a doctrine, uh, you can't cherry pick verses that you like. And then ignore all the other verses. The Bible, as we teach on this program, is in a complete agreement uh, with itself. And so, you're not going to find one verse that invalidates another verse. And so, we've got another question on baptism. I'm glad we're thinking about it and studying about it. Um, And I appreciate uh, Steve's answer on that. So, this viewer would like to know, can someone who who was once baptized lose their salvation? (coughs) Well... uh, Romans chapter 8 tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. I believe once you're in Christ, uh, you can know that your salvation is secure, that you can have confidence uh, in that decision. Uh, I believe there are too many Christians that are just so timid and fearful. Uh, They're kind of, you know, not once saved always, they're once saved almost saved. I mean, they've they've just got that mentality, well, I'm, I'm hoping I get to heaven, I... I'm not sure, but you can have confidence in that. Now, the viewer asked the question, can you uh, lose, can a person lose their salvation? And the answer to that is yes. Uh, Not in the sense that it can be taken from you, but in the sense that you still have free will. Uh, Just as it required a decision to choose Christ, to follow Christ, to uh, repent of your sins. It was a decision to uh, submit to his lordship. Uh, you can also make decisions as, after you become a Christian to leave Christ, to walk away from His church, to walk away from the Christian way of life. I've sadly known people who have done that. Um, I, I do not believe that a person uh, is, is it, uh, you know, can never uh, stop being able to repent, but a person can absolutely make the choice to turn away from Christ. And you know, we're always creatures of free will, uh, right up until the the moment of our of our passing. Uh, all those choices will determine where we spend our eternity. And so, yes, you can make decisions uh, that. Uh, reject Christ. People rejected Christ in Jesus' day, and people can still reject Jesus today, even after they've made the decision to follow him. Let's look at a couple of verses. Um, Galatians chapter five, verse four says, You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. All right, this is kind of gets into the idea people who like to try to keep the rules. And what you'll find out is that you can't keep all the rules. And when you try to do that, you're going to fall from grace because it's grace. We're justified by His grace through faith in Christ, uh, which means that we're going to mess up. But we don't give up when we mess up. Let's look at another one, 2 Peter Peter 2, verse 20. Peter says, If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again and are again entangled in it and are overcome and i think that's the key verse there they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning now i i don't think that's saying that christians won't sin and won't struggle uh, we all got to work and we, we face temptation daily. That's true for every Christian. Uh, but if you're overcome by that, if you're drawn back into the world, if you turn your back on Jesus, uh, then that's a problem. And that's going to that's going to be an eternal problem if you don't do something about it. Um, God does not desire anyone to perish, um, but your free will does not stop when even when you're in Christ. we got to make the decision to submit to Him daily. So I hope that helps the viewer. Mm -hmm. Know that they can not have it taken away, but they can choose to give it up if they...
0: Yeah, I think part of the problem on that question is, and I do believe that Calvin's doctrine of perseverance of the saints, that you can never lose your salvation no matter what you do, is wrong. It's a bad doctrine. Uh, But I think most of the disagreement Christians have about this is a matter of semantics. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. When we start out and say you can lose your salvation, uh, people think of just walking down the street and all of a sudden their salvation's lost. Right, you know? right. Uh, but well, you were talking, I thought of an example, I carry this little Swiss Army knife, a uh, genuine Swiss Army knife, genuine. by the way. It okay. saved my life many times. But <laughs> anyhow, I, I carry one of those. And I can't tell you how many I've had over the years, because every couple of years or so it seems like I'll lose one somewhere. Yeah. I'll sit in a chair that leans far back and it'll slide out of my pocket, or uh, sometimes I'll go back and find it. But I've lost quite a few of them, and I always replace them and carry on. Uh, but that's kind of the way the word lose mm-hmm. strikes us, is, okay. is yeah. we we didn't do anything about it. We just right. lost it. Uh, <laughs> and that's not what we mean. Right. <clears throat> we mean you can not give it up. It and up. I, yeah. uh, Toby explained that very well. Uh, so if we get that samanity, maybe we need a better word there to talk about that. But uh, uh, it's not like you're just walking down the street and it disappears right. or right. Uh, accidentally you lose it or something like that. you got to you got to work hard to get away from Christ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. So hopefully that will help too. <clears throat> Alright, yep. next question about a couple of Jesus parables. What did Jesus mean about the old and new cloth and the old and new wineskins? Alright, uh, what He meant there. Uh, let's just make sure we get the Scripture right first. Let's look at it on the screen. Matthew 8 is where He said these things. You can read the whole story but I just put a part of it up. Jesus said, "'No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse.'" Okay, everybody knows that, or any seamstress or anybody that's ever patched anything knows that. I guess we don't patch things much anymore, so maybe (laughs) nobody knows that. But I think most folks know. Uh, If you've got an old pair of jeans... Uh, that are faded and shrunk and fit just right, and they get a hole in them. Of course, today that's stylish to have a hole in them. But <laughs> if if you wanted to patch them, if you took a brand new piece of jean material and sewed on there, and then washed them the first time, the patch would shrink, and that would look horrible. So what you do is shrink the patch first, and then sew it on. Uh, so that's simple. Everybody knows the concept. Uh, what Jesus was talking about. Was people that asked him why he and his disciples didn't fast, and he said, "Well, there's no reason to fast when I'm with them. Uh, we're not grieving about anything. We're not uh, uh, sorrowful for anything. And for us to fast while the bridegroom's here, for us to fast, that wouldn't fit. That wouldn't be congruous, if you will. And then his examples were these two parables." Nobody sews an unshrunk patch on an old garment. And then the second illustration was you don't put new wine in old wineskins. When you put grape juice in a wineskin to cure, to ferment, to do what it does, it will expand. And an old wineskin is hard and hardened and doesn't stretch. So if you put new wine in there and it stretched, it'd blow the wineskin up. So what you did is you got a new wineskin, a fresh, supple uh, animal skin that you'd made a bottle out of, put the new wine in there, both the new wine and the wineskin stretched together. So all those two stories mean is it doesn't fit. You don't put new wine in an old wineskin. You don't put a new patch on an old garment. Uh, That doesn't fit. Well, he was explaining why he and his people didn't fast, Uh, it just doesn't fit. doesn't work together. It's not congruous. So uh, that's what he meant by them, very clear parables, very easy to understand. And then when you understand what he was explaining it makes some pretty good sense. Let me take this moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Uh, the Churches of Christ keep us on the air and support this program and we appreciate that. And we like to mention one or two each week in different areas and uh, let you help us give them a thank you. Today let's talk about the East Moline Church of Christ. Uh, up in Moline, Illinois. A great group of folks up there that recently started supporting Know Your Bible. Uh, if you live in the Quad Cities and close there to Moline, we'd invite you to drop in and tell them that you watch the program and you appreciate them it on the air. Uh, of course, if you're looking for a church home and you live in that area, uh, we really think you ought to drop in and visit them and see what you uh, find there. We think you'd find a group of folks that uh, would warmly welcome you and to some folks that think and study the Bible a lot like we do on this program. So drop in and see them sometime or anywhere in uh, the market area you're watching in, probably a Church of Christ near to you. Uh, let them know that you appreciate them supporting the program. All right, Toby, next question. Yes, a
1: viewer wants to know, uh, why does heaven need gates? Well, that's a, probably an insightful question. If you're looking at the Scripture, you think, why in the world do we need and for that matter, walls, uh, what's that all about? Well, you're going to find that description in Revelation chapter 21. The first thing you got to remember is that Revelation is a book of prophecy, which means it's a, vo- a, a book of imagery. Let's read this on the screen. And I heard a loud voice from the throne of God, from the throne, saying, Look, God's dwelling pa- place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be uh, with them and be their God. Now, what he's, uh, the I believe, whole description of heaven in Revelation chapter 21 is going back to uh, the, the Jews and the Christians who would have understood at this time walls and gates represented a fortified secure city. Uh, if you had a city and you had walls and gates you could feel safe and secure in that dwelling place and i think that's exactly what the prophecy the imagery the visual here that john is getting is that heaven not a place of literal walls and gates to, i mean it really doesn't need those to keep people in or out uh it it's representing the safety and the security that we will have in the final resting place because God will dwell with us. And that's where the safety and security comes from. So, hope that answers the question. Always right. be careful, Revelation, you're <laughs> not
0: dealing literally. Yep, you're tricky dealing stuff back there. Figuratively. So. All right, if you just want a verse, simple question. Where does the Bible say ashes to ashes and dust to dust? Problem is, you could read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and you won't find that. Uh, that's not in the Bible. I think it was originally written in the Book of Common Prayer, uh, and you've probably heard it at ten million funerals. It's uh, probably been said at ten million funerals. I doubt <laughs> if anybody's heard it at ten million funerals. Uh, but we people say that at funerals like it's in the Bible, uh, but it's not. Here's a couple of verses that are the closest I could find: Genesis three nineteen. Uh, says, For the dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. And then Ezekiel says, uh, I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. I think that's about as close as you can get uh, to ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Of course the concept is correct, uh, but it's just not said in the, the Bible that I could find anywhere. So a lot of things like that that uh, we we hear and we get used to and we think it's, uh, think it's Bible, but it isn't. Got time for about a 30-second one? I think we can do it. <laughs> okay.
1: Uh, first person asked the question, is ISIS mentioned in the Bible? No, not directly. Anytime we got evil personified, that's Hitler or Stalin or Hussein or Bin Laden, we think, what does the Bible say and where is the prophecy about that? But the Bible generally talks about evil and the message it gives us is that evil existed for a long time, but at the end of time, good wins over evil. Let's look at Romans 12:21. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil
0: with good. If you're on the good side, you're on the winning side. All right, like you let's make sure we get our trivia question answered today. And it was about King David, Uh, actually before he was king. What was his job before he was king, when he was anointed king? Well, he was a very young man, but he was a shepherd, uh, working for his daddy, taking care of the sheep. And Samuel uh, called him in from the field and anointed him king. We're glad you've been with us today. We invite you to be back with us next week for more of your questions. Happy to see you then. Until then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity we follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a church of Christ near you.